Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. I'm Neil Hadley. In this series, we try to help people fix their sleep by figuring out why mine is so horribly broken. And maybe we can stumble upon some answers together. Before we get too far afield here, you okay? Everything good? You all right? You got people to turn to, people to talk to? Crazy dreams you can talk to people about and stuff like that? Look, if uh, crazy dreams are becoming a part of your reality, maybe you'll find last week's episode particularly interesting with Dr. Céline Bastien from the Canadian Sleep Society, who uh, is an expert in the science behind dreams. You can get all the details on last week's show for that. Um, But let's get you straight into this week's episode. And I'll tell you straight up, this is the longest episode of the show we've done so far. And it's worth spending the time on because I want to know what you first think of when you hear the word hypnosis. Now, if among your first images are, you know, some kind of Vegas show where somebody's barking like a dog, then this episode is for you. If you're a person who has tried just about everything to fix their sleep and is willing to try just about anything, well, this episode is for you too. Um, I'm going to introduce you to Dr. Diane Haspel-Johnson. You may already know her as a VIP contributor to Ariana Huffington's wellness site, Thrive Global. Um, She maintains licenses for both California and Colorado boards of psychology. She's a consultant for the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. She's the co-founder of the Los Angeles Erickson Institute and a member of the Society of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis, American Psychological Association Division of Hypnosis. As it goes in this field, she's one of the heavyweights and there's a lot to unpack here and it's already going to be a lengthy episode so more than enough of me already let's get to dr diane haspel johnson i am starting to get the impression uh, that people know this first question is coming and that in some cases they have actually maybe even had the opportunity to rehearse what their answer is going to be we will see if that's the way it goes here as i ask you how did you sleep last night (laughs) well i did know that you were going to ask me that question And um, I did hope last night that I was going to sleep really well because I thought, oh, what am I going to say if I slept terribly? But I actually did sleep well. (laughs) Like you were worried Um, (laughs) about presenting homework to the teacher? That was was like... (laughs) Exactly. Oh, wait. (laughs) Um, Yes, I I slept pretty well. I slept about seven and a half hours. And I'm, I'm always very grateful when I sleep well, even though I generally sleep well, because I had the first half of my life where I slept terribly. And then I discovered hypnosis when I was in graduate school, and it dramatically changed things for me. So probably 95% of the time, I, I actually do sleep, sleep very well, meaning, and I mean by that, um, that I wake up and I feel rested, and um, I feel more resourced. I feel like things are like kind of organized a bit in my unconscious. So I'm happy to say I slept well. And also, I, by the way, with recent, you know, recent changes where, where we're in, in a sheltering position, um, I, I noticed that I had a couple of weeks where I was, a li- I was not sleeping as well. And I started to think about some little exercises to do to help myself relax, help my body relax, help my mind relax. And so I was thinking maybe at the end of this podcast, I could share a little exercise with the listeners about what I, what I figured out, what I discovered, a little Ooh, tip. Okay. So I've written down on a notepad here, exercise at the end. So 
I, I, it is now my job to track that moment. And you took uh, my next question right out of my mouth because I wondered how, for somebody who, uh, you know, gets the proper amount of sleep or at least the recommended amount of sleep, I wondered if coronavirus, COVID-19, everything that's going on with that, which as we are recording this, we are right in the thick of it. I wondered if there had been an impact there for you. And you're saying there was an impact that maybe even lasted as long as a couple yes, of weeks. Yes, there was an impact well, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was a consistent couple of weeks, but for me, um, I'm because I'm a psychologist, and I'm I see clients, and so I've been seeing clients remotely from home, and um, and that was a little bit disorienting. Also, I think people were really heightened in their um, their own anxiety and their activation, which did not surprise me. I mean, I kind of expected that people were going to be um, anxious about the virus and having a little more trouble sleeping. I, what I didn't expect and what I have found is, is that pretty much every single, not just client, but person I know when I've really talked to them has had all of their kind of core issues, like those underlying um, constellations kind of get triggered by this. So there's a lot of stuff coming up for people that's not necessarily about um, COVID-19 or sheltering in place or quarantine or anything like that. But it's really about like just stuff that that reminds them of or childhood stuff. So, uh, I've been very aware of that. And so that, di that did kind of, uh, disorganize my sleep a, a little bit. Um, for a couple, there were a few nights where I, I had a little bit of insomnia and, um, modified my own self-hypnosis a little bit and refocus myself a little bit with that. And then that, uh, that's gotten better. So my sleep is back to normal and is really good. Interesting metaphor that you used, uh, when you talk about constellations, because that's exactly what, and I, I realized I had been struggling for the right metaphor, but now you've nailed exactly what it is because yeah, for a lot of people, their North star has shifted. Exactly. Exactly. It's, um, I, I, I love the, I also love this metaphor of constellations. I actually have, um, as you know, I have um, a, a online uh, set of sleep hypnosis recordings um, for people. And one of the, one of my favorite ones in that set of seven is about constellations, actually stars and the moon and things like that. I think it's, it's very, it speaks really to the unconscious, that metaphor. And I think things have shifted for people. They're trying to find their way again. So people who listen to the show regularly, which I was excited to find out you are among them. Yes. Um, they know that I have become rather skeptical about a number of things. I mm -hmm. am, um, I am vocally skeptical of melatonin. I am vocally skeptical of all these websites that are out there that purport to tell you this or that magical solution that will fix all your sleep problems. Uh, you know, when fashion websites start publishing information on he here are five foolproof ways that you can fall asleep and then you realize it's a whole pile of Amazon links uh, to silk pajamas and things like that. And I just, <laughs> right. so I start rolling my eyes at so much stuff. And um, 
you and I are going to have an interesting chat because I bet for a ton of people, you start to talk about things like hypnosis or meditation or all of these sorts of things that involve exclusively doing work north of your neck and people's eyes will start to roll. And I'm excited to see where this goes. So let me start it this way. And it might be a a different way than you were expecting me to throw a first question at you. What were the circumstances the first time you were ever hypnotized? Great question. Um, well, if I, if I really go back in time, my, my mother is a psychologist and got trained in hypnosis when I was quite young, maybe five years old. And so, um, she, I, I, I think she hypnotized me a little bit then. Um, we have a great relationship. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, that's good. Actually, she's quite lovely, so it's probably not due to the hypnosis, but due to the fact that she's quite lovely. But um, then I did not have any other exposure to hypnosis. I mean, I kind of knew a little bit about it, but she it wasn't really her focus in her practice, and so it wasn't something that was really... Uh, dominant thing in my life at all. But when I was in college, I went to Rhode Island School of Design. I was a, I was actually a fashion designer before I was a psychologist. And I remember going to a stage hypnotist. And this was actually a really interesting thing. So, you know, stage hypnotists who are doing hypnosis for entertainment, and they want you to do funny things, their success and their um, ability to be entertaining depends on them finding people from the audience who are going to be willing to come up on the stage and cluck like a chicken or sing like Elvis or do whatever it is they're going to do. And um, I am not by nature sort of like a, um, a, a sort of flashy or exhibitionist type of person. So, and I was not uh, comfortable with that idea of going up on stage. So I'm in this auditorium with whatever, a couple, a thousand, a couple thousand other students. And the stage hypnotist was doing something. And and if I, if I recall correctly, I think it was something like an arm levitation, meaning that he was speaking to the whole group and he was kind of telling everybody to, you know, their arm was getting light, like a balloon, that kind of a thing. And some people's arms started going up. And I thought to myself, I remember having this thought and I thought, I'm not doing that. And I didn't have any sensation in my arm. Somebody did, people did get up on stage. It was entertaining, whatever. I didn't think that much about it. Flash forward a few years and I was in graduate school and I had a lot of really severe chronic health issues. I had, um, I had fibromyalgia, so I had really severe chronic pain at that time. And I had insomnia to the effect of probably four to six, four to seven hours a night of, of difficulty falling asleep. And then I woke up about every 45 minutes. Uh, so I had very disturbed sleep and I had pretty severe chronic fatigue and uh, inf- a lot of infections like like where it would become pneumonia if I didn't go on antibiotics. I mean, I was sick all the time. And um, I was in graduate school. I found this professor. He, uh, he used hypnosis actually as a tool to help people with physical issues. And so I asked him to train me in his model. And he, he did 
uh, hypnotize me in his office using a scale called the Harvard scale, um, which is one of the two top measurement tools that are used in research to measure hypnotizability. So it's a script. It's like a little over an hour. It's very specific. It's like, you know, you have a minute and 25 seconds to read this one area of the script. And, um, and he said things to me in this, when he was doing the Harvard scale, like, you know, like your arms levitating. Um, it's actually not one of the items, but I'm, I'm just using it as a frame of reference. And I remember listening to him and I was totally relaxed. I felt completely normal. And my arm starts levitating. And it wasn't the same as when I just lift my arm up. It actually felt like it was happening involuntarily. And in that moment, Neil, my life changed because I thought to myself, even while this was going on, I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't having my own thoughts. I thought to myself, nothing's making my arm levitate, but I perceive that it is levitating and it's actually levitating. And then when he said it was normal, it went down to normal. And after that, I thought to myself, if, if you can tell someone under hypnosis or under the right conditions that their arm's levitating, and it does, what's the difference then if you tell someone that, that they sleep better and you, and you do it in a way that, um, that leads them to that place where they do sleep better. Like, couldn't, couldn't you change what's happening physically with health issues in the same way that you could change what happened physically with my arm? And, um, and that started me on this journey, actually. That's where I, where I really began. So I got trained in hypnosis and I had health issues and I started doing self-hypnosis the next day. I, I, I knew a lot about um, immunology and physiology and uh, sleep cycles, sleep architecture. And uh, I started doing self-hypnosis the next day and it was like someone flipped a switch for me. So it, it really changed my life. My health dramatically changed in every way. Uh, almost, uh, it's almost, I mean, it wasn't like quite like I woke up the next day and everything was great, but it was, it was pretty quick. It, it, it really shifted dramatically. Okay, so you've already become one of those people uh, that you know I like talking to where uh, you give one answer and it sparks 17 more questions. Um, <laughs> so let me go back to the beginning of what you said, and I'm glad you brought it up. You talked about stage hypnotists. Um, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to and, – and this this is interesting because I think a lot of people, the association that they make with hypnosis is – the stage hypnotist. I, I remember I was the house MC at a nightclub that held 3,000 people. And one night, uh, the performer uh, was a guy named Mike Mandel, no relation to Howie. Um, but Mike uh, would do the whole cluck like a chicken thing. And it was a two hour show when Mike did it. Um, and, and the signature thing that he was the most famous for was that he would give this very strict sort of instruction to people as he was hypnotizing them, uh, where he would say, you are not going to remember anything that you did up here on this stage tonight until 
you go to the bathroom. And the moment you go to the bathroom, it will all come flooding back to you and it will seem 10 times more embarrassing than it probably should be. And so then what would happen is they, they, there would be this two-hour show and people would start following their friends who had been up on stage into the bathroom so that they could actually be witnesses to the moment where everything came flooding back. And there were these horrific shrieks coming out of the bathroom because people were remembering what they had done while they were on stage. And while it was wonderfully entertaining for the bar patrons, and I'm sure on some level for the people that were standing on the stage being part of the show, do the, the stage hypnotists, did they hurt the cred of hypnosis as an actual clinical tool? I think they they did, and I think that that continues to happen. And the way that hypnosis is portrayed in the media, a, a lot of times, I think, unfortunately, does um, hurt the public perception of hypnosis and how it can be used as a tool for healing. And I think it's really a shame that that happens because what I have seen is that it can make a huge difference. And it is, to, to my mind and, and my experience, it is the most empowering thing that I've, I've ever come across for people. It, I always think of it, this is the metaphor I like to use. I feel like it's like a buried treasure that people have in their backyard that they didn't know they had. And so in, in my work, whether that's um, people accessing on the online self-hypnosis resources that I have, or whether that's in my office, I feel like I'm, I'm helping give people a map to this incredible gift that they have. So I really do think it's unfortunate that it's been utilized in that way. And in my mind, sort of, it's, it's an abuse of a, a, a quality that we, or most of us have, have access to if we know how to access it. Well, I mean, and my it can first, really be, go ahead. No, no, I think it can be a great and powerful uh, tool. I mean, my first memory of, of hypnosis is Fred Flintstone saying, yabba, dabba, do, yabba, and not being able to say anything else because Fred, you know, that, and so everything that I ever would come to think later about uh, hypnosis was somehow based on Fred Flintstone saying, yabba, dabba, do, and I, I recognize, by the way, that I have just predated, uh, you know, probably 80% <laughs> of the people that listen to the show. Um, but let's talk about the cred for a second because... I mean, you've mentioned before we started rolling that you listened to the show before you became a guest. I, I find um, I get notes all the time from neuroscience geeks and sleep nerds who uh, are scientists but listen to the show as well. So if any of uh, our friends who are listening who are, for example, fMRI techs or something like that, who put people into brain scanning machines for a living, uh, if someone is under hypnosis and uh, they get an fMRI, is is there something going on? Do, are, are my friends that run the brain scans going to see that in someone who is under hypnosis? Yes. They're going to see more activity under someone who um, is highly hypnotizable than someone who is low hypnotizable. And, and let me just back up for a second and explain what I mean by that. So I mentioned the Harvard scale before um, around 1960. There were two measurement scales that were created um, to look at hypnotic 
ability. So that's the Stanford scale and the Harvard scale. And, and those are still the scales that are considered the gold standard, which is the Stanford scale and the, and the um, silver standard, which is the Harvard. And the, the Harvard is actually used much more widely in research um, because it can be done to a group of 30 people at once whereas the Stanford is really more for one-on-one. -on -one. And what these scales look at is very sort of benign um, suggestions like, you know, like your arm being heavy and going down, or there are certain items that happen. And, um, and like amnesia, for, you know, you're not going to remember everything until I say you can remember everything, or you're not going to remember everything until you go into the bathroom and then you'll remember. That's something that, ha that wouldn't happen to just anyone and everyone within the population. That's a, sort of a highly hypnotizable quality. Um, but that can be measured. And what's really amazing about these two tests in particular is that they have like 25 years retestability, meaning I could do the Stanford or the Harvard scale on you, it's a script, it's very specific. Um, and whatever your, your experience of that is, uh, objectively speaking, would remain the same or virtually the same within one standard deviation if I did that same test, the same Stanford or Harvard scale to you in 25 years. And that's really significant. That really establishes hypnosis as a measurable, reliable, valid characteristic. That's what has been shown in these tests. And it's cross-cultural, by the way. So meaning um, somebody in America and somebody in Africa are going to have the same distribution within the population. So when, when you start to see things like that, you say, well, something is really going on here. And over the years, what that led to was, um, was neuroscientists doing things like um, EEGs or uh, PET scans or what you mentioned, uh, functional MRIs, to look at what's happening in the brain and there is activity. So, so yes, you know, the, your listener who is um, who is doing functional MRIs is is going to be very happy to see that there's a couple of decades now worth of research looking at changes in the brain and actually there's some interesting studies. Um, there was a study that was in, I think, 2009, um, around 2009, on um, changes that happen in the brain under hypnosis and comparing it to meditation. And that's also a really interesting one. A lot of people ask me about the differences between hypnosis and meditation. And I was and, about to ask you. Oh, see? <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's a good sign. That means that we have rapport. That's one of the, the most important things for hypnosis. <laughs> you keep scooping my questions before I get a chance to ask any of them. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. So, so um, the simple answer to this, I think this is kind of an interesting question of, of what's the difference between meditation and hypnosis. And, you know, that's a debatable issue. But I would say that I think that the, the I, I like to explain it to people in that I think that um, hypnosis has a direction and an intention. It has a, it usually has a treatment goal, even in entertainment. I won't say that's a treatment goal, but they are, they're, they're trying to lead the person in a specific direction. Whereas meditation tends to be more about sort of mindfulness or a state of at oneness or a state of just being. 
which is really important, um, obviously, and there are, it, it, that affects the brain, um, but it, it affects the brain a little bit differently than hypnosis does. Hmm. Okay. Um, now, so when you say that there is a, 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 a different impact between the two, so, okay, let's, let's get into the weeds on this. What's, what's the difference between a meditating brain and a hypnotized brain? What's happening there? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not a, a neuroscientist, so I'll, um, but I'll do the best I can in, in answering that question as best I understand it. So, um, my understanding is when they have looked at things like EEG and um, functional MRIs, that um, in meditation, um, I I think that there it's there's more of the activation of the alpha brain waves, whereas when they have looked at hypnosis. There's, there's a lot more of the theta brainwaves. And then there's also, I know, I, I don't want to get it wrong, so, um, and I, I don't have all of that, the, that article in front of me, so I don't know with the brain mapping, I can't remember exactly what the difference is in terms of um, the lobes and, and the parts of the brain that are getting activated, but I do recall that it is more alpha with uh, meditation and it is more theta with hypnosis. And that's important with regards to sleep also. So maybe we can, we, can, uh, we can talk about that a little bit too and why I think hypnosis is actually more effective in treating sleep than most types of meditation are. Let's get into the, the, the minutia of how your sleep can benefit from hypnosis in a second. But first I want to... As I'm listening to this episode down the road in my head, I mm-hmm. start trying to anticipate the things that people who are listening to it are going to say, which is why we talked about the eye roll thing earlier when you even invoke the word hypnosis for some people. And you mentioned as well self-hypnosis. Right. Um, and so yes. when I've when I've heard people talk about self-hypnosis before, and I know you get this all the time to the point where you can probably predict the question before I'm even finished ans- uh, asking it. When people start talking about self-hypnosis, one of the questions that pops up for people is, how do I bring myself out of it? Right. So um, that's a great question. And, and you know, it, um, I, I actually have on my website, if the listeners are interested, at, it's, it, I'm sure you'll put it in the show notes, drdiane.com. And there is a page called Truths About Hypnosis. And I really, actually on my website, that's probably my favorite page because I think it answers some of these types of questions. And people have a lot of questions about hypnosis. I think a lot of people are intrigued by it and a lot of people are afraid about it. And the, the question you're asking, I think, is one of the reasons that people get a little nervous of, well, what if I can't come out and what if I lose myself? 
Yeah. What if I get down so far deep that I can't come back? I, that's that's one of those questions that pops up, I think, for people, which, you know, I, and I'm excited to get into the specifics of, of hypnosis and sleep. But before we get to that, if, if there are people listening who right now are just, okay, that's just never going to happen because I'm afraid to try it because what if I can't get out? Um, then right. l- let's nip that in the bud for them so that then they can go through the rest of this conversation kind of with right. an open mind. Great. Yeah. Um, I want to actually even wind back a little bit further and go to sort of unpacking a little bit of what hypnosis actually is, which again, you know, that that's a, that's kind of a debatable issue because people are still trying to figure out why does this work the way that this works? Why does this make such a difference? But what I would say first and foremost to the listeners is we go in and out of hypnosis or self-hypnosis all the time. It's a naturally occurring state. So when you see someone in stage hypnosis or when someone um, comes to my office and, and wants a formal hypnotic induction or listens to some of the, the, the online recordings that I have and, and that's just kind of a more formal hypnotic state, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, that kind of is the idea that people have of like, oh, I'm going to go into this place of being and, and it's an artificial way of being. Well, actually, it's not an artificial way of being. When we're driving on the freeway and we're so lost in our thoughts that we miss our freeway exit, we're, we're absorbed in whatever it is we're thinking about or the music or, you know, the rhythm of the road. That is in a sense, a naturally occurring hypnotic state. That's a self-hypnotic state. So when the other example I often like to give is, is if you're sitting at dinner with someone and you're so lost in the conversation because it's such an absorbing conversation that you don't even notice the background noises or what's happening at the other tables. And suddenly you realize it's been three hours and it felt like it was five minutes. That's a hypnotic state. That's You have time distortion, you have absorption, you have this sense of almost involuntariness, this sense of almost dissociating from the other background noises. Those are hypnotic experiences. By the same token, we can have those hypnotic experiences in an in a unpleasant way with, for example, spinning thoughts when you're lying in bed and you really are tired and you want to go to sleep and you, you can't stop your to-do list. You can't stop worrying about all of these things that are going on and what the what-ifs. And you're, you're so absorbed in those thoughts that it feels involuntary and it feels like it's going on forever. And you keep looking at the clock and it's been 10 minutes and it feels like it's been hours or, you know, vice versa. And those are hypnotic experiences. So I just want to sort of reassure people that those things happen in good ways, pleasant ways, and those things can sometimes happen in unpleasant ways. And so what I have found in the last 25 years since I've been doing hypnosis is that when people understand what hypnosis is and start practicing self-hypnosis in these more formal states, not only do they find that it's, yeah, it's, it's so easy to go, you know, to kind of go in and go out and control that, but they actually feel like they're more empowered in other areas of their lives. So for me, I can have a couple of nights of, you know, disturbed sleep with this whole sheltering in place thing. And I can move back into really great sleep in part because I know how to control that self-hypnosis state. And so I, I'm 
maybe more adept than most people are at shifting from the spinning thoughts to calming thoughts and to, you know, that, that um, anchored good rest. Does that answer the question? It absolutely does. Um, and so I guess maybe the best place to go back to from here is what, because again, we, we went down the cluck like a chicken road for a minute. <laughs> and, and I'm sure there are people who are trying to figure out, okay, the cluck like a chicken part, I understand. How is it going to help me sleep though? And, and so what can hypnosis, and, and like you said, it's, it's I guess, partly a function of how hypnotizable you are, but what, and, and I have questions about that too, uh, assuming I remember to ask them, uh, that I'll get to in a second, but what can hypnosis do for my sleep? Does it, can it help me, for example, eliminate that tossing and turning stage? Can it help me fall asleep faster? Can it help me spend perhaps more time in N3 or deep sleep? Or what, what realistically can I expect? Well, um, that's, that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked it. Um, I, so one of the reasons that I'm so passionate about, about sleep and teaching people self-hypnosis for sleep is because I think that self-hypnosis is a particularly... Um, powerful tool for sleep, partly because, so this is the way I I sort of think about it. Um, We're all the time moving from one state or place in our days, in our nights, in our lives to another, right? With sleep, that might be, you know, REM to non-REM and moving to different brain waves. With the, even with the breath, we're moving from an inhale to an exhale. And we're moving from, um, from, a sleep state to a waking up state to a work state to a, you know, coming home, you know, like we're, we're always moving through these sort of bridges. And, and so how do you get from one state of consciousness to another state of consciousness? You know, I I think that with meditation, it's interesting because you're in this state of just beingness, non-attachment at oneness, but that's a separate state in a way, from regular waking life or being asleep. Hypnosis is interesting in that it bridges the conscious and the unconscious minds, right? So when I'm delivering or designing a a hypnotic suggestion for someone, I'm thinking about it on a lot of different layers. I'm thinking about it in terms of their the way they process things in an auditory way, in a visual way, in a kinesthetic or sensory way, because that triggers different parts of the brain, right? And I'm also sort of thinking about the double meanings of things. One of the things that has been frustrating to me, or maybe it's been motivating to me, it's what, what motivated me to create the online hypnosis tools, is that I've listened to a lot of the apps for um, relaxation for sleep, and I have been dismayed to hear in the language that I don't really think that they, they bridge the hemispheres of the brain, the left and right brain. They don't really seem to tap into the architecture of sleep. I think if you're going to deal with sleep and speaking to the unconscious about sleep, you need to be mindful of the way sleep actually is structured 
and works. So I think that hypnosis is a, a bridge because it is unique in that you're delivering suggestions through language or through pauses in language, through the, which is cog, more cognitive, but in a way that speaks to the unconscious and creates a kind of relaxation that is unique. So that's, that's sort of part one of that answer. And part two of that answer is what we were talking about before, what you brought up before about the, um, the differences in the brain in sleep and how it, and if, if there's something that you can actually see. And remember what I said before was, is it, it seems to be a theta brainwave. Well, theta comes into the lighter non-REM sleep. That's what's getting, that's what's happening. So it's, it's a slower and lower frequency than alpha, which is what happens, which tends to happen more in meditation. And so because you're going into a, a deeper, more relaxed state and a state that is familiar, if you will, to, this, to what happens in some of the stages, more the, like the third, you know, um, non-REM cycle, you're actually, you know, you're, you're in the wheelhouse, Right. So I think that that those are some of the reasons why I think it's particularly effective in dealing with sleep and why it can help people. Do you have people that come into your office who are of the opinion, okay, I'm I'm unhypnotizable. You won't get me. I, I I'm immune to this sort of thing. Does that happen for you? Uh, yes, it does. And you know, I as I said, I I learned hypnosis using the Harvard and Stanford scales. So it was very research oriented. The way I learned. And then um, I, I did my basic and intermediate workshops and I started doing self-hypnosis every day. Um, I actually was doing it twice a day for probably the first eight years or so. And um, it's now once a day I do my self-hypnosis, but I, I've almost never missed in 25 years. I still find that it just makes, makes me a better version of myself. So I, I trained in the research, ori more the research oriented. And then um, I was really fortunate in that I was working part-time, the whole time I was in graduate school and then after graduate school for a while, for like 20 years with my stepfather, who is a holistic um, board-certified internist, allergist, immunologist. So because there was such a change in, in me and my symptoms and my blood tests and my allergy skin tests and all kinds of things, after I started doing hypnosis, he started having me work with patients and make them self-hypnosis recordings. So um, I was able to actually see physiological changes happen with the hypnosis. And so I think as a result of that, what I started to do was to work very much with the individual who was in front of me. And, um, and I thought, well, if someone has a problem and they're suffering and I want to help them, what's the best way for me to do that? And years later, I learned about um, Ericksonian hypnosis, um, which is the, the hypnosis that was really developed by Milton Erickson, who was a psychiatrist and who used a lot of um, s metaphors and stories and non looking at nonverbal cues, so things that were happening physiologically and sort of like those little tells that people have and telling them stories or designing hypnosis based on that and he was finding that he could hypnotize anyone as long as they were open to being hypnotized. So I've kind of come 
at, I come at hypnosis from both of these ways of thinking. And what I have found is, is that it's really a matter of designing something for the person in front of me. And for that reason, I, I haven't ever met somebody who I couldn't hypnotize in 25 years. Doesn't mean that there aren't people out there. And certainly if someone was adamant that they weren't going to be hypnotized, then they're not going to be hypnotized. But I've had people who have, who have called me on the phone and said, I'm really desperate. I've gone to hypnotists. It hasn't worked. Why do you think you can help me? And I, I really, I don't get particularly intimidated by that because I think, well, it's my job. My job is to look at the person in front of me and figure out how they are naturally going in and out of hypnosis. Everybody goes in and out of hypnosis naturally. So I really just have to figure out how does that happen for them? And, and it's, I have not found that difficult to figure out when I'm, when I'm face to face with a person. Is for someone who is is interested in learning self hypnosis, and we've talked about how hypnotizable a person is, is is how hypnotizable I am something I need to come to a person like you? I mean, uh, you know, for for the many who are not geographically uh, predisposed to maybe come and give you a visit in person, um, do I need to come and see somebody like you, or is there way, is there a way I can test this on my own and figure out whether I'm even a candidate for something like this? Yeah, I, um, well, it is actually for that reason that I I developed these online hypnosis packages. So the the one that is currently on my website is the Deep and Easy Sleep Self-Hypnosis Package. And it sort of started out, I think I said this to you before we started recording, it started out as this sort of idea that I had, which was people would call me and have sleep issues. And it's sort of the one thing that I just can't ever bring myself to, you know, to turn someone away or refer them out if they have sleep problems, because I'm passionate about it and I've had really good success with it. And I know what it's like to suffer with sleep problems. And I think sleep is the sort of the foundation for everything. So I really wanted to see as many people as I could. Now I'm, I'm licensed in, in California and Colorado, so I can't see anyone who's outside of those states. And um, so I tried to figure out a way to make it more accessible and also more cost effective for people. Because I think that when people learn self-hypnosis, they have the tool. It's so empowering to them. Like, I don't want people to be dependent on me. My feeling has, has always been in my practice. I know it's not a great business model, maybe, but is the better I do my job, the less people need me. <laughs> so I developed, I thought, okay, I'll just go into a recording studio. I want this to be really like good quality. And it'll take me 200 hours to just write up how people can use it and put it online and have these recordings. And then I got all excited about it. And I started making, I was like, oh, let me design them. And I want them to be different lengths and um, have different metaphors so that they go together, but they can mix and match and different people have different favorites. And I was like, I'll make seven of them. And then I was off to the races. So then, you know, it took me a couple of years actually, and thousands and thousands of hours, because what I ultimately decided was, if it's just another thing that people download, they're not really going to understand how to use it and what the difference is of the different recordings and what they do. Like there's one that's like eight minutes long and it's for if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have trouble going back to sleep. 
And that's quite different than someone who, you know, who feels their breath is sort of anxious and they snore, you know, it's like there's different components of sleep. So what I did was I actually made uh, two how-to videos and an ebook that is like a guidebook to, that accompanies those uh, self-hypnosis recordings and really educates people about what hypnosis is, how hypnosis um, relates to sleep and, and some of the research on hypnosis and sleep and, and the what, where, when, how, you know, what if you're interrupted when you're doing it? How do you, uh, how do you know that you will come out of it? All of these things are in this set. So it's kind of been a labor of love for me. I really encourage people to kind of think about hypnosis for sleep because I do think it's unique and I think it's, it's really kind of a game changer. I mean, also just being able to do some self-hypnosis even during the day and, and, and it doesn't have to be 45 minutes. It doesn't have to be 30 minutes. It doesn't have to even be 15 minutes. It can be five minutes. It can be, you know, even two minutes is better than nothing. And I think that when we start to, to find these little bridge moments, these little pockets of rest during the day and before we go to sleep, it just makes it easier for us to go to sleep. It's interesting that you say that even even a couple of minutes, um, because you know here in our house uh, we are big fans of the ten percent happier meditation app. Um, yeah. And and there's a great uh, sleep component on there as well. Uh, the interesting thing is a lot of those meditations work for my wife. None of them work for me. Um, but one of the things that uh, Dan Harris, who kind of spearheaded the whole 10% thing, because it's named after a couple of the books that he wrote on the subject, um, you know, he became um, a, a proponent of the idea that even one minute is enough to make a difference. Uh, and so to hear you say, yeah, even, even a couple of minutes is enough, because I think that might be one of the other things for people is, you know, the investment of time. Like I think, I think about the people who nap and I'm so envious, Diane, of the people who nap, um, (laughs) because, you know, it takes me forever to fall asleep. And so if I'm going to take a 20 minute nap, that probably involves at least two hours in bed before I can get to the 20 minute nap part. So is there something that is offered by hypnosis that might help me actually be able to realistically take a nap someday? Yeah, I, I think so. And I would also say that what I have found is, is that, um, that doing self-hypnosis can really be a game changer. And so, so I don't nap almost ever, but I do my self-hypnosis and, um, and I, I sometimes will do self-hypnosis when I'm going to sleep, but I, I will also do it at different points in the day. And I encourage other people. There's actually, um, there's some free resources on my website and there's actually, uh, a, an ebook that people can download for free and a little video that accompanies it where I kind of actually talk a, um, a bit about on this subject. And I, I think what people are really looking for is in, in a sense, metaphorically, a nap, a rest. I mean, one of the, the thoughts that I have is, is although I'm, I'm kind of a, you know, a sleep hypnosis expert, really for me, it's not actually about the sleep. I consider sleep issues to be a symptom of a lack of rest. 
So in, in other words, what I really think is, is that we kind of need to rest in order to rest. We need to find ways to let ourselves just be. And I think like the mindfulness movement of being present in the moment, that's an effort to get us there. But when I started really thinking about it and I, and I had this idea, this concept of rest in order to rest, I, I was like, well, why do I think that? Why is that really what I'm passionate about? And it was really like, well, people all the time are looking for that. You know, we, we work so that we can, you know, go on vacation and rest. We want to put away money for retirement so that we, at some point we can just rest. We want to be in a relationship with a partner where we can really be ourselves and feel like, oh, whew, now I can rest knowing that this person has my back. So I feel like there's so many things that we do in order to get to a resting point, right? And, um, and that's really important because again, that's this bridge thing. We're moving all the time from in sleep from sort of like the, the REM to the non-REM, the REM to the non-REM. And there's a point where it's a resting point, if you will, where things change. There's a point between an inhale and an exhale where we rest inside of ourselves. And it's almost like we're checking in with ourselves. And then we breathe out. And it's like we're checking in with the outside world before we take it in again. And I use that a lot in the self-hypnosis audios because I think it's so important to create space and play with that because as we play with that and as we learn the skills of self-hypnosis, which most people can learn, I think that that helps us then to translate that into feeling more rested during the day, being then more productive and efficient and present in our relationships so the relationships are healthier, and I think we can sleep better at night. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And like you've been doing this entire conversation, you sparked two follow-up questions even just with that point. I want to describe to you a very quick scenario because you just hit on something that you just kind of clarified something for me, but um, you at the same time brought up a question for me. Um, I mentioned the 10% Happier app. And yep. there's a meditation in there by a, a meditation teacher named Jeff Warren. And uh, it was a meditation that they had actually custom crafted for uh, the pop singer jo Josh Groban, where it was designed to tap into creativity. And the idea behind – the entire idea behind the meditation was – it was about a 15-minute session. But it was to get you to focus on your breath as so many meditative practices do. Focus on your in and then focus on the out. But then once you've got that down – the instruction was to really zero in on that space between the in-breath and the out-breath, that moment of just nothingness before you are done inhaling and it's about to turn into an exhale. There's that space and they encourage you to really, really focus on it. And so the first time I did the meditation, I was going through that process and I was really doing, I thought, a pretty good job of zeroing in on the space between the in-breath and the out-breath. But there was a moment in the middle of all of that where the only way I can describe it 
is if my consciousness basically stepped off of a ledge and there was nothing all around me, almost like, um, I don't know if you watch Stranger Things, but that scene we keep seeing in Stranger Things where Eleven uh, shows up in that space where there's just nothing but blackness all around her. There's no sense of up, down, left, right. There's no sense of time. There's no sense of anything. And so as I listen to you describe this bridge state, did I, did, was I doing self-hypnosis in that moment and I just haven't been able to put a label on it until now? Because ever since that moment, I've been trying to figure out what the heck happened. Yeah, I think that you, I mean, you know, the, um, I would say, you know, the, the medit- uh, meditators, uh, I actually also do transcendental meditation so I'm, I'm doing my self-hypnosis and transcendental meditation twice a day. But um, I would say meditators or, or um, mindfulness uh, teachers would, would say you, you entered the gap. You entered that state of at-oneness. I would say, I would, and I would agree with that. However, I would also say that there's something that led you to that, and that was the intention of the practice. So in a sense, I would say, yes, you, you entered that through hypnotic, uh, pathways in a, in a way. I mean, it's, it's, I think that, uh, the people enter a state of beingness and connecting to themselves in meditation and in hypnosis and self-hypnosis. So I think that sometimes the way that they get to that state is a little different, but I use some of that, um, that, that space in between with hypno- self-hypnosis, but it's not as much of a focus just on being in that state. There's, in, with the self-hypnosis for sleep, for example, that state is utilized in order to move into um, healthy sleep architecture. Interesting. Okay. Um, and, and while we're on the subject, by the way, I just needed to throw this in. Space Between is also a fine Dave Matthews band song. Um, that aside. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, the, so, and, and this is kind of my second follow-up to, to what you were describing earlier, is the hypnosis itself restorative in and of itself is it because you hear people you hear the meditators describe this all the time i i remember when i was a kid watching uh dr wayne dyer who would talk about how you know a good 30 minute sit if he was meditating uh, had the same restorative qualities as a full night's sleep and which, which i was I, I found that to be an interesting claim but that's that's as far as he was concerned that was true is it the same for hypnosis is is x number of minutes spent doing self-hypnosis, am I going to come out of that feeling, you know, restored, rested, all those sorts of things? Because when we were back talking about the night's sleep you had last night, you talked about how great it is to wake up feeling rested and refreshed. I don't remember ever waking up feeling rested and refreshed. And that's not hyperbole. That's, that's a factual statement. I literally don't remember a morning in my entire life where I've woken up, you know, in that, in that throw the sheets off the bed, greet the day, bounding out of bed with a smile on my face, blah, blah, blah. That never happens for me. Is, is that the kind of feeling that hypnosis might give me? 
I, I think so. And the reason I think so, I mean, aside from um, my observation with clients for, you know, 25 years now, I'm going to, I'm going to um, use myself as an example. So I remember being three years old because I have, I have a very good memory and I remember being three years old and I remember waking up in the middle of the night and uh, going and sitting in the hallway and in the dark and looking at like the cat's eyes because I could see them reflecting and things like that because I had such disturbed sleep. So my mind has a tendency to not shut down. I'm very detail oriented and my mind is always thinking a million things. And um, I even got to a point where I was analyzing my dreams while I was dreaming them. I mean, I was not by nature <laughs> a well-rested person. Also, I have, I do have fibromyalgia and, and I have always had chronic pain. So I remember being seven years old and it occurring to me when I was seven for some reason that maybe it wasn't normal to always be in pain. So all of this is to say, I've never actually slept through the night without uh, being awakened by a, at least some degree of physical discomfort, which I think you can relate to based on, on hearing some of the things that you've said in your previous podcasts. And, um, and so what's different for me now is that, first of all, during the day, I'm not bothered by pain almost ever. And in the night, if pain or discomfort wakes me, which it does, I just shift position. And in a sense, I, I kind of um, give myself a hypnotic suggestion and I go back to sleep because within my my own self-hypnosis, I have, I have given myself suggestion after suggestion that if I awaken in the night, as soon as I've taken care of myself, I'll be able to easily go back to sleep. And then I do. So I wake up feeling very refreshed. When I say I had probably seven and a half hours of sleep last night, I feel great. I don't, I feel really energetic. I feel really alert. Did I wake up in the night? Yes, because I always have some discomfort that will awaken me and then I can shift back into sleep. And I think that some of that is that I'm doing the self-hypnosis and I am giving myself these suggestions. And um, one of the suggestions that I actually give in, in one of those seven recordings that is in my online set is, is exactly what you're talking about because I actually say in it something to the effect of one minute of hypnosis will be like an hour of deep sleep. And two minutes will be like two hours. And I kind of go like that. And I give those kinds of suggestions to teach people how they can do that for themselves. Because then they can do sort of, in a sense, what I'm doing, which is to, um, to administer that state to themselves. And those kinds of suggestions to themselves, I can be like almost like the voice in their head in that way. And they can find that on their own. Okay. So with that said, um, and, and I, I just looked at the clock and I realized that um, as much as I am fascinated by every single person that's ever been on this show and every single person that's ever been on this show has taught me something 
Um, we have crossed into that territory where this is the longest episode of the podcast since the podcast started. Um, oh my gosh. Which is an indicator of just how interesting I find this whole subject. Um, so I, I'm grateful to you for that. But the one thing we did talk about right out of the gate is that you wanted to talk about an exercise as we got toward the end. And I think we've laid out sufficient groundwork now for people to be able to pursue all of the information that's on your website and and explore all the stuff they can download and read and all of those sorts of things. So let's then cap it with this exercise that you wanted to take us through. Yeah, it's just it's it's just a quick idea and it's just something I've been playing with um, on my my Instagram. I do these once a week. I do a Tuesday sleep tip. It's like a little um, you know less than one minute video of some little sleep tips and exercises and visualizations and things like that. So I've been thinking this past couple of weeks when I was having a couple of nights of difficulty, I thought, well, when our minds are spinning and we have all these ideas or anxious thoughts or worries or the what ifs, that's very much high up in the body. That's in the head. And so a lot of times I think it's really helpful to focus away from the head and to focus on like the feet or the hands or the extremities to get that energy down and more into the body and away from the spinning thoughts. So I would suggest that maybe the listeners might want to try um, when they're lying in bed, focusing on the toes and maybe try it without moving them, but you could also try it with moving them and then try it without moving them. But Go from toe to toe, big toe, second biggest toe, middle toe, second to smallest toe, pinky toe, and feel it on each foot. You can feel, you can sometimes, you can play with it and feel it on both feet at the same time, both big toes at the same time, or left foot and right foot, and, and go one by one and focus your energy and attention on the toes. And what I found when I was having these nights of a little bit of difficulty sleeping was, and I was playing with this idea, is that I never really got more than, you know, three feet <laughs> in before I then fell asleep. And I think it helps with the concentration, you know, right? You're concentrating on this thing. And it actually takes a little bit of concentration to focus on each toe and really feel each toe if you're not moving it. And it takes energy away from the head. And it, it's also really kind of grounding in the body. And it also gets a little bit boring. So I think that helps too. <laughs> I love this idea. Okay, see, now I have homework. And I love the episodes where I have homework after too. Um, listen, we're going to make sure that everything you could possibly want to know uh, about how to contact you, about about what you're doing online. And we'll make sure that that's all in the show notes and on our website as well. Um, I appreciate the time. Um, and I'm like I said, I'm aware that this is now the longest episode of the show we've ever done. And I felt like it needed to be to kind of help us cross some of the hurdles that might be for some other people and get into the nitty gritty of why this actually might make a difference for folks. And and if, if I can throw one last question at you, um, that's partly, you know, me search, but also might be helpful for other people as well. Is am I going to find self hypnosis easier if I'm already a meditator? Um, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, maybe uh, it's not. It's a little bit of a vague answer. Maybe. I mean, I've I've seen so many you know thousands of people over the years, and I have had people 
Well, I, I had people who have never meditated and never done hypnosis. Um, when, we, the, when we do the first hypnosis in my office, I've actually had people um, start to cry tears of joy during the hypnotic induction because when I, and when I asked them why, later they say it's that they felt like they returned to themselves in some way or that they were, they just, that it's just, they never experienced themselves in that way. And those are people who haven't meditated. And then I've had people who, who do meditate and they seem to love hypnosis and they like to do both. Um, they do their own meditation and then they also do the self-hypnosis. So I'm not sure whether it makes it easier or not because I've seen a broad range. And I, and I think most people, you know, if they're interested, can be hypnotized and, and would get something out of it. I would just say this one little caveat, which is, is that if someone has PTSD or some type of dissociative identity disorder or some schizophrenia or things like that, then I would, I would recommend that they see a licensed healthcare professional who does hypnosis and work with that person and not do something online. Um, I think that people need to sort of be careful and responsible if they have some of those issues. So I just want to say that as sort of a caveat. That's perfect. Um, again, thank you so much for the time. Um, and we'll make sure that everybody knows how to find you and how to get all their questions answered. Um, I, I can't thank you enough for this. I'm, I'm truly optimistic about it. Great. I'm so happy to be on the show. This has been so much fun. And uh, I'm, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear how it goes for you. There you go, Dr. Diane Haspel-Johnson on the Snooze Button podcast and uh, appreciate her taking some time and making some room for us. Uh, a couple things we didn't get a chance to mention in the episode. Um, her website, which is drdiane.com, spelled D-Y-A-N. So Dr. D-R, it's, it's D-R-D-Y-A-N.com. Um, one of the things that's not in the, in the episode, she has created during this time of quarantine a 50% off code for her deep and easy sleep self-hypnosis package. Um, so if you want to get in on that, and this link will be in the show notes, it's drdiane.com slash shop. And the code that you need is HEAL2020. There's also a free video and an ebook that's called The Three Biggest Problems with Sleep and The One Thing You Can Do by 3 o'clock today to sleep better. And we'll have all those links out there for you as well. Lots of stuff for you on our website too, which of course is thesnoozebutton.com. Not only show notes, but a pile of helpful links there, the contest page. You can leave questions for our panel of sleep experts. We've got a doozy coming up next week. A super easy way to rate and review the podcast. You can leave your feedback. Uh, you can get our social media profiles there. If you're so inclined, you can even support the show with a donation to help keep it commercial free. And remember, if you're crunched for time, but you love the info, there are nine minute versions of every episode with a different podcast called The Snooze Button Express. And we are diligently working to get caught up with the production of those episodes as well. So until we are back together next Monday here on The Snooze Button, my name is Neil Headley. Hey, get some sleep, would you?